Volume 1, Chapter 6 of the Autobiography of Madame Kion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Madame Kion by Jean Kion. Volume 1, Chapter 6. Afterward, we came to Paris, where my vanity increased. No course was spared to make me appear to advantage. I was forward enough to show myself and expose my pride in making a parade of this vain beauty. I wanted to be loved of everyone and to love none. Several apparently advantageous offers of marriage were made for me. But God, unwilling to have me lost, did not permit matters to succeed. My father still found difficulties, which my all wiser Creator raised for my salvation. Had I married any of these persons, I should have been much exposed, and my vanity would have had means to extend itself. There was one person who had asked for me in marriage for several years. My father, for family reasons, had always refused him. His manners were opposite to my vanity. A fear lest I should leave my country together with the affluent circumstances of this gentleman induced my uh, father, in spite of both his own and my mother's reluctance, to promise me to him. This was done without consulting me. They made me sign the marriage articles without letting me know what they were. I was well pleased with the thoughts of marriage, flattering myself with the hope of being thereby set at full liberty and delivered from the ill-treatment of my mother which I drew upon myself. God ordered it far otherwise. The condition which I found myself in afterward frustrated my hopes. Pleasing as marriage was to my thoughts, I was all the time, after my being promised, and even long after my marriage, in extreme confusion, which arose from two causes. First, my natural modesty, which I did not lose. I had much reserve toward men. The other, my vanity. Though the husband provided was a more advantageous match than I merited. Yet I did not think him such. The figure which the others made, who had offered to me before, was vastly more engaging. They rang who had placed me in view. Whatever did not flatter my vanity was to me insupportable. 
yet this very vanity was i think of some advantage it hindered me from falling into such things as cause the ruin of families i will not do anything which in the eye of the world might render me culpable as i was modest at church and had not been used to go abroad without my mother as the reputation of our house was great i passed for virtues i did not see my spouse elect at paris till two or three days before our marriage i caused masses to be said all the time after my being contracted to know the will of god i wished to do it in this affair at least O oh my god how great was thy goodness to bear with me at this time and to allow me to pray to thee with as much boldness as if i had been one of thy friends i who had rebelled against thee as thy greatest enemy the joy of our nuptials was universal through our village amid this general rejoicing there appeared none sad but myself i could neither laugh as others did nor even eat so much was i depressed i knew not the cause it was a foretaste which god gave me of what was to befall me the remembrance of the desire i had of being a nun came pouring ill all who came to compliment me the day after could not forbear rallying me i wept bitterly i answered alas i had desired so much to be a nun when then am i now married by what fatality has such a revolution befallen me no sooner was i at the house of my new spouse than i perceived that it would be for me a house of mourning i was obliged to change my conduct the manner of living was very different from that in my father's house my mother-in-law who had long been a widow regarded nothing else but economy at my father's house they lived in a noble manner and great elegance what my husband and mother-in-law called pride and i called politeness was observed there i was very much surprised at this change and so much the more as my vanity wished to increase rather than to be diminished at the time of my marriage i was a little past fifteen years of age my surprise increased greatly when i saw i must lose what i had acquired with so much application at my father's house we were obliged to behave in a genteel way and to speak with propriety all that i said was applauded here they never hearkened to me 
but to contradict and find fault. If I spoke well, they said it was to give them a lesson. If any questions were started at my father's, he encouraged me to speak freely. Here, if I spoke my sentiments, they said it was to enter into a dispute. They put me to silence in an abrupt and shameful manner and scolded me from morning till night. I should have some difficulty to give you an account which cannot be done without wounding charity if you had not forbidden me to omit anyone. I request you not look at things on the side of the creature which would make these persons appear worse than they were. My mother-in-law had virtue, my husband had religion, and not any vice. It is requisite to look at everything on the side of God. He permitted these things only for my salvation, and because he will not have me lost. I had besides so much pride that had I received any other treatment, I should have continued the reign and should not perhaps have turned to God as I was induced to do by the oppression of a multitude of crosses. My mother-in-law conceived such a desire to oppose me in everything that, in order to vex me, she made me perform the most humiliating offices. Her disposition was so extraordinary, having never surmounted it in her youth, that she could hardly live with anybody. Saying none that vocal prayers, she did not see this fault, or seeing it, and not drawing from the forces of prayer, she could not get the better of it. It was a pity, for she had both sense and merit. I was made the victim of her humors. All her occupation was to thwart me, and she inspired the same sentiments in her son. They would make persons my inferiors take place above me. My mother, who had a high sense of honor, could not endure that. When she heard it from others, for I told her nothing, she chided me, thinking I did it, because I did not know how to keep my rank and had no spirit. I dared not tell her how it was, but I was almost ready to die with the agonies of grief and continual vexation. What aggravated all was the remembrance of the persons who had proposed for me, the difference of their dispositions and manners, the love they had for me, with the agreeableness and politeness. All this made my burden intolerable. My mother-in-law abraded me in regard to my family 
and spoke to me incessantly to the disadvantage of my father and mother. I never went to see them, but I had some bitter speeches to bear on my return. My mother complained that I did not come often enough to see her. She said I did not love her, that I was alienated from my father by being too much attached to my husband. What augmented my crosses was that my mother related to my mother-in-law the pains I had caused her from infancy. They then reproached me, saying I was a chingeling and an evil spirit. My husband obliged me to stay all day long in my mother-in-law's room without any liberty of retiring into my own apartment. She spoke disadvantageously of me to lessen the affection and esteem which some had entertained for me. She gulted me with the grossest affronts before the finest company. This did not have the effect she wanted. The more patiently they saw me buried, the highest esteem they had for me. She found the secret of extinguishing by vivacity and rendering me stupid. Some of my former acquaintances hardly knew me. Those who had not seen me before said, Is this the person famed for such abundance of wit? She can't say two words. She is a fine picture. I was not yet sixteen years old. I was so much intimidated that I dare not go out without my mother-in-law, and in her presence I could not speak. I knew not what I said. So much fear had I. To complete my affliction, they presented me with a waiting-maid who was everything with them. She kept me in sight like a governess. For the most part, I bore with patience these evils which I had no way to avoid. But sometimes I let some hasty answer escape me, a course of grievous crosses to me. When I went out, the footman had orders to give an account of everything I did. It was then I began to eat the bread of sorrows and to mingle tears with my drink. At the table they always did something which covered me with confusion. I could not forbear tears. I had no one to confide in who might share my affliction and assist me to bear it. When I would impart some hint of it to my mother, I drew upon myself new crosses. I resolved to have no confidant. It was not from any natural cruelty 
that my husband treated me thus. He loved me passionately, but he was warm and hasty, and my mother-in-law continuously irritated him about me. It was in a condition so deplorable, O oh my God, that I began to perceive the need I had of thy assistance, for this situation was perilous for me. I met with none but admirers abroad, those that flattered me to my hurt. It were to be feared, lest at such a tender age, amid all the strange domestic crosses I had to bear, I might be drawn away. But thou, by thy goodness and love, gave it quite another turn. By these redoubled strokes thou didst draw me to thyself, and by thy crosses effected what thy caresses could not effect. Nay, thou madest use of my natural pride to keep me within the limits of my duty. I knew that a woman of honor ought never to give suspicion to her husband. I was so very circumspect that I often carried to excess so far as to refuse my hand to such as in politeness offered me theirs. There happened to me an adventure which, by carrying my prudence too far, might have ruined me, for things were taken contrary to their intent. My husband was sensible both of my innocence and of the falsehood of the insinuations of my mother-in-law. Such weight crosses made me return to God. I began to deplore the sins of my youth. Since my marriage, I had not committed any voluntarily. Yet I still had some sentiments of vanity remaining, which I did not wish. However, my troubles now counterbalanced them. Moreover, many of them appeared my just desert, according to the little light I then had. I was not illuminated to penetrate the essence of my vanity. I fixed my thoughts only on its appearance. I tried to amend my life by penance and by a general confession, the most exact at I have ever yet made. I laid aside the reading of romances, for which I lately had such a fondness, though some time before my marriage that had been dampened by reading the gospel, I was so much affected therewith and discovered truth therein that put me out of patience with all the other books. Novel appeared then to me only full of lies and deceit. I now put away even indifferent books to have none but such as were profitable. 
I resumed the practice of prayer and endeavored to offend God no more. I felt His love gradually recovering the ascendant in my heart and punishing every other. Yet I had still an intolerable vanity and self-complacency which has been my most grievous and obstinate sin. My crosses redoubled. What rendered them more painful was that my mother-in-law, not content with the bitterest speeches which she uttered against me, both in public and private, would break out in anger about the smallest trifles and scarcely be pacified for a fortnight. I used a part of my time in bewailing myself when I could be alone, and my grief became every day more bitter. Sometimes I could not contain myself when the girls, my domestics, who owned me submission, treated me ill. I did what I could to subdue my temper, which has cost me not a little. Such stunning blows so impaired the vivacity of my nature that I became like a lamp that is shorn. I prayed to our Lord to assist me, and He was my refuge. As my age differed from theirs, for my husband was twenty-two years older than I, I saw well that there was no probability of changing their dispositions, which were fortified with years. I found that whatever I said was offensive, not accepting those things which others would have been pleased with. One day, weighted down with grief and in despair, about six months after I was married, being alone, I was tempted even to cut out my tongue, so I might no longer irritate those who seized every word I uttered with rage and resentment. But thou, O God, didst stop me short and show me my folly. I pray continuously and wished even to become dumb. So simple and ignorant was I. Though I have had my share of crosses, I never found any so difficult to support as that of perpetual contrariety, without relaxation of doing all one can to please, without succeeding, but still offending by the very means designed to oblige. Being kept with such persons in a most severe confinement from morning till night, without ever daring to quit them, is most difficult. I have found that great crosses overwhelm and stifle all anger. Such a continual contrariety irritates and stirs up sourness in the heart. It has such strange effect 
that it requires the utmost efforts of self-restraint not to break out into vexation and rage. My condition in marriage was rather that of a slave than of a free person. I perceived four months after my marriage that my husband was gouty. This malady caused many crosses within and without. He had the gout twice the first year, six weeks each time. He was so much plagued with it that he came no more out of his room nor out of his bed. He was in bed usually for several months. I carefully attended him, although so very young. I did not fail to exert myself to the utmost in the performance of my duty. Alas, all this did not gain me friendship. I had not the consolation to know whether what I did was agreeable. I denied myself all the most innocent diversions to continue with my husband. I did whatever I thought would please him. Sometimes he quietly suffered me, and then I esteemed myself very happy. At other times I seemed insupportable to him. My particular friend said I was of a fine age indeed to be a nurse of an invalid, and that it was a shameful thing that I did not set more value on my talents. I answered, since I have a husband, I ought to share his painful as well as his pleasing circumstances. Beside this, my mother, instead of pitying me, reprimanded me sharply for my assiduity to my husband. But, oh my God, how different were thy thoughts from theirs! How different that which was without from what passed within! My husband had that foible that when anyone said anything to him against me, he flew into a rage at once. It was the conduct of providence over me, for he was a man of reason and loved me much. When I was sick, he was inconsolable. I believe, had it not been for my mother-in-law and the girl I have spoken of, I should have been very happy with him. Most men have their moods and emotions, and it is the duty of a reasonable woman to bear them peaceably, without irritating them more by cross replies. These things thou hast ordered, O my God, in such a manner, by thy goodness, that I have since seen it was necessary to make me die to my vain and haughty nature. I should not have power to destroy it myself, if thou hast not accomplished it by an all-wise economy of thy providence. I prayed for patience with great earnestness. Nevertheless, some 
sallies of my natural liveliness escaped me and vanquished the resolutions I had taken of being silent. This was doubtless permitted that my self-love might not be nourished by my patience. Even a moment's sleep caused me months of humiliation, reproach, and sorrow, and proved the occasion of new crosses. End of chapter 6, volume 1